As Jason said last week, we began our series on Huddle Up, and this is just a time of preparation, really, a preparation for our church to come together, to get reacquainted, and uh, to expect God to move, to expect God to move. And so what we talked about last week was uh, unity, was about, as again, Jason said, growth uh, requiring change. And are we willing to change in order to see God move in our lives, in each other's lives, in the church here at Beaches Chapel? Are we willing to come together as one body, as one family, as God has called us to be? Not a group of individuals that see each other on Sundays and then go our separate ways, but as a group of people that share our lives together. And so we're going to continue that this morning. And when this series popped, popped into my heart and into my head, this was actually the first thing that I felt like God wanted us to talk about. And I didn't know why until I really started uh, researching it and reading about it, and that is repentance and reconciliation. Um, man, there is a lot of that. And, and I want to ask you a question. Don't raise your hand, but just ask yourselves this. How much of your daily life, whether it's in your quiet time or you know, in, as, as you go throughout your day, is repentance a part of your day? How much of repentance is a part of your daily life? And for me, I can say not as much as it should be, at least. And it's funny because the devil will try over and over again to not allow us to repent. And he'll tell us all sorts of reasons why not to. Sometimes we feel justified in what we did where we don't think we need to repent, right? Sometimes we get so busy with our day that we simply forget. It's not a priority. But more often than not, the devil tells us that we shouldn't repent because what we've done is too much. And it feels awkward. We feel embarrassed. We feel ashamed. We feel condemned. We feel guilty. And so rather than going to the Lord and repenting and telling him what, what we've done wrong and asking for forgiveness, we tuck it away. And we hide it away in our hearts. And we let it fester there. And we let it become, as we just sang about, we let it become darkness in our lives. And the reason that the devil will do everything that he can to not allow us to repent is because the truth is, in repentance, there is power and there is freedom. There is power and there is freedom in repentance. The devil tries to tell us that there's weakness and there's condemnation. That if you go to God, you are weak because you failed. And if you go to God and you confess these things, then you should be ashamed and you should feel guilty and you should feel less. In the world, that is what happens. We see it all the time, especially now that social media has exploded. Someone messes up and what do we do? Man, we dig our heel into their neck. We bury their face in the dirt. We kick them while they're down. It happens all the time. Stuff that, that people did years and years and years ago when they were a different person resurfaces and we make them feel ashamed. And so we take that idea and we, we apply it to God. And that's not how it works. That's not how it works because the truth is with repentance, there is power Amen. and there is freedom. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that as we begin to believe for God to move here at Beaches Chapel with miracles, with healings, with restoration of, of relationships, with the prodigals coming back, we need to understand that this is where it starts. This is where it starts. It starts with us individually. It starts with us as a group. 
But God is preparing in us a time. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Mark 1, starting in verse 3, the story of John the Baptist. This is real quick. We're not going to, we're not going to like really like sink our teeth into it, but just a couple verses here about John the Baptist, who was a prophet that God ordained to make a way for Jesus. He was, he was coming before Jesus, right? And this is what it says. This is so interesting. And starting in verse three, it says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, that's John, prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So what we see here is that the way that John prepared a way for Jesus' coming was not to have an elaborate service, to have an awesome light show and perfect worship and a dynamic speaker or anything like that. He was saying prepare the way with repentance. Think about when you have people over to your house. Right? What do we do when we have guests over? We clean the house, right? We clean the house. We mop the floors, we vacuum the rugs, we clean the bathrooms, we get the kitchen nice and tidy, we put all the mess away, we, we shove it in one closet and hope no one opens it, right? <laughs> but as we prepare for guests, we clean up the house. And so what John was saying is, as we prepare for our guest, as we prepare for Jesus' coming, we need to clean out not the living room because that's not where Jesus occupies. He occupies our heart. He lives in our heart. And so we need to clean out our heart. We need to clean out our heart. And I think the way that we do that with repentance is to understand what it really is. Because again, we have this almost negative connotation with repentance. Like it's something that we can only do because we've messed up. But listen to what, um, his name's Murray Dempster, he's a theologian, he says this, he says, in responding to the good news of the gospel, Jesus declared that repentance and belief, so belief in him and repentance becomes a person's greatest joy. Repentance, next to belief, is a person's greatest joy. Do we think about that in terms of repentance, that it's a joyful experience? Because we should. I tell my Bible class all the time, there is no other way to experience the love and the grace of God like when you go before him and repent and you feel his loving arms wrap around you. It's an amazing, sweet, and awesome time. And it allows us, again, power and freedom. Power and freedom in him. Listen, every great work of God begins with a time of preparation and this is our moment of preparation. This is the first step to clean out our hearts. And look, this is, let me, let me just say this before we go any further. This is not a message where I'm banging on and saying, you better get things right. You better, you know, get your life straightened out. It's not about that. It's about getting excited for God to take these burdens that we've been carrying, that we've been hiding away and getting rid of them. Getting rid of them so that we can live a life that is free, a life that is light, I'm tired of living in the darkness. We sang it just a minute ago. We are putting darkness on notice. We don't want to walk around with a heart that is full of darkness, in shadows. We need to walk in the light. And this is, this, here's what it says about this. In John, uh, 1 John, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 5. 
This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Here, here's what's so interesting about when we, when we keep sin in darkness, when we keep it in our hearts, when we try and hide it away. When we live like that, with, with this, these things that we're trying to hide, it yields further sin because it, it, it makes us walk in shame. It makes us walk in this filth and we, we begin to self-medicate this shame that we have. And so we turn to other sins to try and help ourselves feel better about the sin that we're hiding. And that's why the devil tries to tell us not to repent because it leads to further sin. We feel shame, we feel guilt, we feel regret, we feel sorrow. And so that leads us to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography, to gossip, all sorts of different things. All because we're hiding this shame in us. That is, instead of leading us to God, it's leading us down this darker, darker road. I was, I, was, I was sharing what I was going to uh, speak on today with our pastors on Thursday, and Pastor Howard had a great point of that repentance is not turning away, it's turning towards God. All this time when we don't repent, we're walking this way into a darker path. When we repent, finally, we get to go back to God. And this is what it says. It, continuing on in 1 John chapter 1, in verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. I mean, we will live, we will share our lives again with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And here's that word again, purify us from all unrighteousness. I love that word, purify. That's a cleansing word, Right? It doesn't say that if we confess our sins, he will judge us and ridicule us and rebuke us and make us feel less about ourselves. We do that. We do enough of that. God is faithful and just to forgive us and he purifies us if we walk in the light. What is light for us? It's life. It's life. Light is life. And so if we're walking in darkness, we're not walking in life. We're not living the life that God intended. What do plants need to survive? They need light. That is where life is. That is where our life is. But we so many times choose to live in darkness because we're convinced. We're convinced that God can't handle the things that we got to tell him that we did. It's crazy. We're mixing him up with the world. And boy, let me tell you, there are two different things. We tell ourselves, I'm, I can't go back. I can't go back and ask this again. I've done this too many times, over and over, and I'm the only one. <laughs> Look around you. We're all the only one. Every single one of us in here are the only ones that have ever made the same mistake over and over again right? But we tell ourselves that. We let shame creep in. Romans chapter 7. You want an example of someone that did the same thing over and over again? Paul 
an apostle who wrote most of the New Testament, what does he, what does he tell us? Man, the things that I want to do, I never do. The things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I keep doing. Does that sound familiar? You are not alone. Michael Jackson said it great. You are not alone, right? But man, we let shame own us in that. We let shame own us in that. Luke chapter 15 is the story of the prodigal son. I'm not going to get into that deep, but if you don't know that story, it's basically this son who goes to his dad and says, I want my inheritance now so I can go live my life. Translation, let's just pretend you died and I'm going to take my money that I would get if you were dead and I'm going to go live my life. That's what he's, that's what he's communicating to his dad, this son. Harsh. Super harsh. And his dad actually says, okay, Here's your inheritance. Act as if I was dead. Go live your life. The son does. And of course he spends it all and ends up homeless, barely able to find any food. And he comes to his senses, says, you know, if I were to work for my dad, I would eat and live better than this. So he says, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. After telling my dad I wish he was dead and I just want his money, and that's as far as our relationship goes, that's how I value him, I'm now going to turn around and go back and see if he'll maybe just accept me as, as a slave, as a servant for him. And this is the reaction that happens starting in verse 20. But while he, meaning his son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Not anger, not frustration, not I told you so. but with compassion. And not when the son knocked on the front door, but when he was a long way off because the father never stopped loving him. And he was constantly waiting for him to turn around. God is waiting for us to turn around so that he can show us compassion, so that he can show us mercy. But we have to turn around He's going to let us live the life that we choose. The father didn't go looking for him when he was homeless and couldn't scrape a meal together. He wasn't knocking on every door, but he was waiting for him. And when the son turned around and made his way back, from far off the father saw him, and this is what he did for him. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's what he thinks. That's what the son thinks. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father threw a party for his son. The father threw a party for his son because he never stopped loving him, because the son was always the son. He was always the son, even in that time where the son left him and messed up and made all sorts of mistakes and denied his father. Said, I, you just go ahead and be dead in my eyes, let me take the money. He was still always the son. He was still always his child. So when he came back, 
He threw a party. We serve an amazing God. We serve an amazing, amazing God who wants to throw a party when we turn back to him. And he tells all of heaven, my child is back. It's awesome. Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Anyone in here need a time of refreshing? You're at your wit's end, trying to do all this stuff. We're doing everything we can except the one thing that we need to do is to clean out our hearts. Just say, God, I'm, try- I'm tired of doing this on my own. I'm tired of living this lie. Here it is. I'm laying it out for you. I messed up, but I'm turning back to you like the son to his father. When we do that, we have a time of refreshing. Why? Because we serve a merciful God. He said, look, the price has already been paid. Jesus paid for it. He already died. And he's risen again so that you can always come to me. And when we experience that, we experience a freedom that you just can't anywhere else. And what does that lead to? It leads to us worshiping God more, drawing into him more. And then what does that lead to? Us feeling more empowered by the Holy Spirit to do more. Freedom and power in repentance. Freedom from the darkness. Freedom from the shame and the guilt in a time of refreshing. I'm ready for that. I hope y'all are too. So there's two parts to this. There's repenting to the Lord. And then there's reconciliation to one another. The Bible says we need to be reconciled to one another. And, you know, there's nothing that can cause us anxiety and stress and sleepless nights, even fear, like when we have unresolved conflict with someone else. It will gnaw at us. We can't rest. It's, it becomes this thing that just hangs over our head in such a way that it consumes us. It consumes us. It comes out of our mouth because it's rotting in our heart. And, and the reason is, is because when we have disunity with someone else in the body of Christ, we are living the opposite purpose of how we were called to live. God created us to be a family, to love one another, to be in unity. And when we are not, we are living opposite of our calling. And when we do that, it rubs at us the wrong way. And it causes this unrest because we're not fulfilling our natural purpose. Does that make sense? And all the while we have this unresolved conflict, this thing hanging over our head and it eats at us, it eats at us, and it eats at us and it takes our time, it takes our energy and it starts to overflow into other people. It overflows into our relationship with the Lord and our worship all because we are all consumed with this thing, this unresolved conflict that we have with someone else. So I'm just gonna be very blunt this morning and say, Is that you? In your life, do you have 
unresolved conflict with someone in your life. It might be a relative, a spouse, a friend, a coworker. It might be someone in this room. Because right now, we are, we are a church body that needs to be unified, that needs to link arms. And let me tell you this, here's a, here is a pearl of wisdom. Y'all ready for this? You can't have unity if you're not in unity. You can't have it. It doesn't work. You can't be unified if you're not unified. And if you have unresolved conflict with someone in your life, you need to pray about it and try to resolve it as best you can. And if you try and you've done everything you can, God will set you free. God will set you free. But we need to be reconciled to one another. Colossians 3.13 says this. This is, this is funny, a funny verse, I think, in, in a certain way. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And I, I love that phrase that Paul tells us here. Bear with one another. Not always be best friends with the person next to you and have everything in common. Just bear with, sometimes we just gotta bear with one another. You know? Sometimes this is what we gotta do because you know what? We're not all the same. Unity does not mean, um, sorry, I have it in my note. Unity is not uniformity. Now, unity is not uniformity. In other words, unity is not everyone being exactly like me. Unity is us embracing everybody and our differences and our different abilities and our different giftings and walking alongside each other in that. And sometimes on certain days, maybe it's on us, we just gotta bear with one another and still love one another despite how I feel in that moment. Because a lot of times the, the annoyance doesn't come from the other person, it, it's me. It's, it's on, that's on me. It's not on the other person to fix themselves for my sake. It's for me to love them. And so as we continue to huddle up, as we continue to gather together and link arms and be one body in one accord, we have to do a couple things. We have to come before the Lord and clear out our heart. Get the darkness out and we gotta get with each other. Whether that's someone outside of here or in here, because it does, no matter what, it affects our walk with the Lord. Here's, in, in fact, what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, first go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So what is Jesus saying here? Look, before you come to me and, and give me this offering, what's more important is being reconciled to one another. Do that first. That needs to happen first before you bring your gift to the altar. So we see here, John tells us, as we prepare for Jesus to come, we need to repent. And then before we bring our gifts to the altar, we need to be reconciled to one another. There is a process to all of this. And look, again, this is not to make any of us feel bad. 
It's to set us free because listen to this, this is so important. The gospel is not about walls. It's about space. It's about space. Division is about walls. Shame is about walls. Darkness is about walls. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, breaks down the walls. And it lets us be a family. It lets us come to him freely. It lets us run to him. Not slowly turn around, but bring our our missteps and our mistakes and say, here they are. I'm giving them to you. I'm not walking in shame anymore. I'm not letting my past failures dictate my future anymore. I'm not letting them dictate my present, my now. I'm giving them to you, Lord, and I'm gonna be free. And we're gonna tear down the walls that we've built up around our hearts and we're gonna let God operate in space and let the Holy Spirit move and we're gonna breathe deep the goodness of God and we're gonna experience a time of refreshing, a time of refreshing so that we, we can experience what God has for us in this place. We can't fake it. We can't fake it. So what I wanna do now, we're ending, we're, I, I wanted to do this a little short because I wanna give us plenty of time. We're gonna have a time of prayer. So let's go ahead and stand up. And we're gonna open up the altar to you this morning and just let you have your business with God. We will have our pastors and our elders on the side of, of the stage to pray for you, whatever you need. If you need healing, there, whatever, you, whatever you're going through, we wanna pray for you this morning, especially if you don't know Jesus. If you haven't experienced asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and letting him make you new today, washing away these sins, come, come, be a part of that. And so we're gonna have our pastors and elders on the side, but we wanna open up the front for you to just come I'd have time with the Lord one-on-one. Share what's on your heart. But remember, God is a God of light. And as much as we want to fool ourselves into thinking that by not sharing our mistakes that he somehow doesn't know, he knows. And so we might as well come to him. And let's experience this time of refreshing. Let's clean out the shadows of our heart and let God move. So pastors and elders, come on up. I'm gonna pray for us and then just make your way forward. But don't let fear get in the way. Don't let fear get in the way this morning. Take that first step. Remember, growth requires change. So sometimes that just means getting out of your seat in church on Sunday in front of a bunch of other people that also need it, by the way. Amen? Father, thank you so much. God, thank you so much that you are not a God of darkness. You are a God of light. And Lord, you don't make us feel bad, feel less, feel ashamed for the, for the things that we, well, feel ashamed of. You are a God who is quick to forgive, faithful to forgive. God, I pray that this morning you would lighten our load. God, if there's, if there's things that we've been carrying around that are not ours to carry around, that we would give them to you. And this morning, Father, in Jesus' name, we will sever the tie from the shame that we've been carrying around. And it'll be over. It'll be done with in Jesus' name. That we will leave 
refreshed and new and that when the devil tries to remind us or tell us of the things that we used to do that we can say, no, that's over. God's forgiven me and I'm moving forward. And that we're gonna experience power and freedom in you. That we're not gonna have walls up anymore, but you're gonna give us space to breathe, space to move, space to worship, space to declare who you are in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in this place, that you're preparing a way for the coming King. So do radical things here at Beaches Chapel amongst all of us. Testimonies that we're gonna be able to celebrate together because what you do for one, you do for all of us, Lord, because we're one body. We're in unity together. We're one family. Thank you, Jesus, that you're changing us, Father, from the inside out. And as we begin to declare your goodness, it's gonna be something that we declare not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of the week. And people are gonna see it in us. And they're going to be drawn to you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Come on up. If that's you this morning, you need prayer. Come on up right now.